Manuela Bonanno from Columbia University and I'm very happy to be sitting here with uh, Dr. Gaber, um, Walid Gaber for uh, the Radiation Research Society podcast or podcast. Um, so first of all, I would like to congratulate you for the mentorship award. This is a scholar in training award that it's given to wonderful mentors um, and uh, the criteria are uh, that people, uh, the way the award is chosen is through um, some mentees that send uh, letters of support for their mentor. And I can tell you that you have received wonderful, wonderful letters. I've been, I had the privilege to read some of them. And then, uh, of course, I want to talk to you about what makes a person to be a good mentor. But before we go there, there I would like to talk about your career, your career steps. Now you are an associate professor at Texas University, right? Baylor College of Medicine, uh, but the pediatric department is Texas Children's Hospital. Texas That's Children's why people Hospital. get confused. Between. Yeah, I was, I was. It was a very long. <laughs> yeah. So tell us more about um, a little bit of your career. You were telling me before that you got your um, PhD in London, at yes. London College. So I uh, finished my undergraduate at Ain Shams University, which is in Cairo, in physics. Uh, from there I went to uh, England to do my PhD, which was in uh, nuclear high energy physics uh, at University College London, which is an incredible experience and very formative years of, uh, the, you know, as a scientist. Uh, but I bet also in a personal way, right? Yes. Yes, and, and from there I uh, graduated in uh, early 1990s and physics uh, was a very hard career at the time. Uh, so I went and got a master's in biomedical engineering, which was an incredible experience given that the last biology class I had was in 1977 or about that time. So it was very tough, but it opened up my mind to the whole biomedical research field. And uh, from there, I did my postdoc at St. Jude in the Radiation Oncology Department, looking at vascular changes in the brain. And then uh, I got uh, to work on uh, radiation side effects. And then when I went to Baylor after that, I also expanded into uh, tumor uh, response to radiation and more and more attracted towards the imaging side of things. So uh, most of my work now is image-based uh, on uh, in preclinical models on rats and mice and correlating the changes in imaging to cognitive and uh, vascular changes in the brain, uh, both on the tumor side and on the uh, uh, side effect of, of radiation. And of course, because of what happened with the NIH increasing funding for whole body radiation, like everybody else, I got attracted to that field and I uh, got funded on it and got to do research on whole body radiation, cardiovascular effect, bone marrow effect, uh, intestinal effect. So really, at some level, I'm confused. I don't know what I'm yeah. doing. Uh, my students, each one is doing a different project. 
and uh, it's very hard to come up with, but it's, uh, it's great fun and I love it. So this brings me to, your, uh, to, to the next question. I was looking at your profile online and then as your um, research interests, uh, topics, I have a pediatric brain tumor and the long-term effects of pediatric uh, brain tumor treatment and then um, animal imaging to look at the vasculature again after irradiation and then imagining to map the bone marrow um, and how uh, it, uh, uh, it can be repaired after irradiation. So it's a very, very vast and somehow connected, but as you were saying, could be confusing, but could be also very exciting. So how do you, how do you, um, you know, find like a common ground in, in, in these topics or you keep them like separate and work? So uh, when I was interviewing at Baylor, I remember the, one of the professors there, after I told him what I do, he said, oh, you're a renaissance man. And I said, yes, <laughs> indeed, that's what it is. I've never uh, met a scientific problem that I was not interested in from superconductivity to nuclear physics to cognition to tumors, I agree. How does one keep with this having brilliant students, having very hardworking postdocs and faculty, junior faculty working with me? Uh, but it's very confusing, I confuse them, I ask them to do things that you know, the other one should have been doing, you know, and then I realize, oh, that's the wrong project. But uh, it's, it's, it's great fun because, uh, you know, you, uh, it, it is truly, I, I, I'm living a cliche, which is I'm, every day I'm learning something new. And it's, I can't tell you the pleasure of being in that position, of uh, going to work, knowing that today I have to understand all about the response of the heart to radiation damage. You know, and so then... you don't feel overwhelmed? Because just listening to you, I feel <laughs> overwhelmed. It is overwhelming in a very pleasant way. You know, uh, but of course you compartmentalize and then you get, yes, it gets confusing. But I can't tell you how uh, pleasurable it is to learn these different aspects of the human biology, of the response to radiation. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know how to do it otherwise. I mean, I wish maybe I should have been a specialist, but uh, no, I wouldn't give this for anything else. You are also a co-director of a small animal yes. imaging, so you also have kind of some administrative yes. stuff to take care. Yes. How do you find the time? So then uh, the, it is, you know, managing a facility like this and directing the research. First of all, it has a, again, it fits with my character very well because then every day somebody walks in and has a different a project. project or a new and, idea. Uh, yes, like, and I can have we to, do this? Yes, and I have to learn all about it, have to read papers about it and have to become a quick expert, expert. on it when I'm not, so you have to pretend a lot, you know, but anyhow. Uh, but it, of course, there is the facilities management, the biomedical engineering people, the companies and all of this. And it's, uh, I guess, uh, one just have to rely on others, trust others, uh, give them the confidence that you believe in them and that you, uh, you know, that you're listening to them. 
And I must say, I've never had a problem from companies to the administration at work or to my colleagues, everybody. Uh, find, I find it easy to work with them. And remember also the issue, uh, the advantage that I have is that I can talk from the physicist all the way to the MD, you know, because of this varied background that they connect. And once they connect, they, you know, they share their experience and Really, it's, it's about it's easier. It's about trusting the others and, and giving them the, the you know the lead, and you provide the service. But it is it is great fun. I mean, I, I do projects I wouldn't have done. I've uh, had a paper uh, where I did some imaging on uh, appetite. You know, I would never have worked on appetite before. You know, and uh, they had a drug that uh, was affected uh, as prosen, which affects appetite and. Uh, you got, got to, to learn. Got to learn about the centers in the brain that affect appetite and how they manipulate that. So, so. I think the next um, interview would be on that. Everybody <laughs> will be interested in, in yes. finding, you yes. know, the the gold standard or the best. How to control drug, appetite? How to control appetite? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think you you already mentioned some of the traits or the characteristics of a good mentor, you know, when you were saying trusting people, help them to take the leadership and then learning how to also delegate, right? Let it go, not micromanaging. So what do you think? Is, is this uh, reading this word, um, what do you think? What are the best you know, features. So. so one of the advantages of my career also is that I, I have crossed from different cultures and I come from a Mediterranean culture in Egypt to the European culture then to the American one and that has given me a, a sort of a wider view of, of character and how people respond. The point, the main point is that every one of us comes to this with their own character. And especially when you talk about graduate students, postdocs, and junior faculty. Uh, we are varied in background, family structures, ethnicity, gender, uh, and adult needs to have a focused project where they can see uh, their advancement through that project. Uh, they need to feel that they're in a safe environment where they can make mistakes and that these mistakes are not going to be used to judge them. I always tell them stories about all the silly mistakes I've, I've done and that relaxes everybody because, you know, you can't do worse than me. So how do you, because of course we are, we come, people come into your lab, they have no idea what they want to be or what they want to do. How do you understand, uh, or how long does it take for you to understand whether this person, what she or he wants to become and how? This is a very important question in academia because what we get, we get, uh, I would say, roughly almost three uh, characteristics. We get, we get brilliant people. And these brilliant people are either transitioning through us for training or they, are, uh, they, have, they plan on staying in academia or they are thinking of going into industry. And we have to understand the difference between these individuals. My own experience is academic researchers 
want to take matters into their own hand. And uh, they tend to show uh, the, this uh, type of leadership whereby they, from the beginning, want to dictate how the project proceeds. And it is this sense that, first of all, makes them very motivated because it's their project. They want it to succeed. And secondly, they are also very uh, open-minded and critical as scientists. There's a difference. Scientists are different. Scientists get that uh, excitement out of research and they're critical of themselves. And, uh, you know, they, that is the one thing that I look forward to having in the people in the lab. But of course you get also the brilliant people, but they're not academicians. They are just very, very bright people, but they really want to move on into industry. And it's understanding this, that one can build a relationship with the individual that is working with them. I've had brilliant scientists. Uh, who turned into companies after that. And I've had bringing in people who've also stayed on and, and developed academically. And seeing that difference is very important for us. Yeah, and actually this is something that um, I picked up from some of the letters that I, I, I read because um, some of your mentees didn't stay in radiation biology. They did different things. All of them have, you know, the common theme that they are growing in their personal and uh, career, um, but it's not necessary. So you don't push them only to pursue uh, radiation biology or, uh, you know, things that are related to radiation. So how do you do that or how do you help them? So the thing is, as I said, remember, I've never met a problem I didn't like. So, I mean, I am myself don't think in terms of a specific field. I think all fields uh, of science are related and advancement in one uh, can lead to advancement in the others. I always tell the story that the, uh, the discovery of the speed of light had nothing to do with uh, the speed of light. It has to do with the moons of Jupiter, right? We cannot tell where the discovery is going to come from and how it will affect the field. So all what matters to me is that they enjoy it. I always tell everybody, uh, if you come in the morning looking forward to being here and looking forward to learn something new and uh, to contribute, you know, then it's fine. You know, then you're, you're doing fine. The minute you don't in look forward to coming to here and doing research, the then, then this is not for is you. Wrong. So, I mean, that's all. And, and as I said, you know, wherever they go, they, they take me with them. Those who went into imaging, I've learned so much from. Right? Those who go into industry and do you know, programming have, have affected me. Those who uh, uh, you know, are, are doing surgeries and you know, there were MDs or whatever. So everybody takes you with them. And it's a, it's a, it's a journey that we're both in it, not, not only one of us, right? So as they grow, I grow. As they learn, I learn. And I always tell them, you know, you don't owe me anything except to teach me something new. That's, that's fantastic and it's something that uh, I completely relate as mentee. Uh, I've been blessed with wonderful mentors and of course um, they are always there for me and they're still, you know, helping me during my career. What are the 
the, the, the best, the, the traits of a good mentee. What mentees should do? What are your expectations? I have somebody here saying that, let me see if I can find it. Um, I think I might remember. Somebody say that you, you don't want excuse, you are tough, but very fair. So what are your expectations from a mentee? I mean, I, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think the, the, uh, uh, one of the things that I personally uh, uh, f uh, has always been on my mind is the minute you understand something new. I used to uh, teach, uh, even as, an, um, as a graduate student, and uh, one of the things that always got my attention is when one understands something that is complicated or sophisticated, there is a certain pleasure, there is a certain intellectual, memorable moment. If you think back of an equation you understood or a concept that you were struggling with and then it clicked in your mind, that moment ties you up to uh, the, the place or the environment or the person that you've learned it from. So if it is a book, you remember the book. If it's a teacher, you remember that teacher. If it's a lecture or a poster or whatever, that moment is special. And I think that what I look for in mentees is those moments, is that I can be part of that moment for them, where I could explain something to them that they would, you know, I could see it in their eyes, they got it. And I look for them, the most memorable thing is that when they explain something to me and I get it, and I, I feel that pleasure, right? Of I now understand something you know, that I didn't understand before. And because in this field where we're integrating so many things to understand what's going on, I get people from different backgrounds and they're always teaching me something. So really, different perspective, different perspective than your scientist, the physicists, the biologists, the tumor biologists, you know, and I think that's the mentee that, uh, the one who is passing on knowledge and receiving knowledge, it's, it's, a, it's a dual thing. I think the thing that impresses me the most is the dedication, right, is making the project your own. Uh, you get students or postdocs who walk in and this is their project. Right? It doesn't mean that they're protecting the turf, but this is their responsibility. Right? They are intellectually the owners of this, and uh, hence you're the consultant. You're the one who's passing on you know, your expertise, but the responsibility, the decisions, all of this is coming from them, and that is the best relationship that you could have. But of course, there's also the ones who are coming in not knowing exactly what they want to do, and you just have to give them space. And the minute they feel safe, the minute they flourish, and uh, to see them develop is so pleasurable. You know, to, I, to see them argue with you after a couple of years, you know, and, uh, and, and, and showing you you don't know what you're talking about, uh, you know, is such a pleasure. I had a student who once told me, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, two years after she started. And I saw her today. I haven't seen her for 10 years. She came back to radiation research and I was so happy to see her. And it's a very special moment because it means that they have grown up. They are now 
And it, is, it should be that way. They should, in the end, know more about what they're doing than you do. And the minute that this happens, you're, you know, you're you've done your job. Your job. And, and I still remember that moment. We still laugh about it, you know, that uh, she stood there and told me, you don't know what you're talking about, which is true. She knew more than I did. So this brings me to some of the words that I, I read from these letters. A couple of people have written that you are very open. They can talk to you about anything, even if there is a moment of frustration or a moment of, you know, which is in sciences like 99% of the time. Or if they do disagree with you, it's okay. They, can, they feel like they can talk to yes. you. Yes, so. I've always prided myself on this. And uh, although my children don't agree on that, by the way, but when they come to work, they're amazed, you know, but because they think at home I'm... Uh, the point is, the point is that it's that respect of intellectual endeavor is never the property of one person or one group. And it is a continuous relationship. I have been to physics meetings whereby a student could say something the Nobel laureate was amazed by. We had, when I was doing my PhD, we had an undergraduate student come in and solve a problem that I saw three postdocs and two professors struggling with. The student walked in and just solved it without knowing even that they've solved such a complicated problem. The potential. Yes, and, and there's no monopoly on that. And the, a true scientist appreciates that moment. The moment of brilliance is, you know, is so precious. It doesn't matter where it comes from comes from me, comes from you, comes from anybody. As the long pleasure. as you are open to receive it. It's like a good aria, right? It's always pleasurable, right? And, uh, you know, like a good piece of art, like a, 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 a brilliant painting, right? And, um, you know, so I never saw that this is a personal issue at all. I know that brilliance is hard and it happens for them, you know, the most complicated reasons. And just to be part of it, is a great privilege. It doesn't matter whether it's coming from me, from somebody, to be there is more important. Yeah. You really deserve this award, yes. Um, before we leave, I would like to know uh, a little bit more on the specific topic you are presenting uh, in Chicago. So this is a project, so as you, uh, I, uh, we talked before, I do uh, side effects of radiation on uh, cognition and imaging. And uh, one of the questions that is now uh, attracting more and more people is, what, are there any differences between proton therapy and photon therapy? And of course, this is a very complicated question. The physics of proton ionization and photon ionization are different. But to the first order or to the you know, simple explanation, we can't see why they should produce different effects. However, because proton is now taking over, uh, especially in the pediatric field, everybody keeps asking this question. So I teamed up with uh, David Grosshands from MD Anderson. And uh, we irradiated a group of animals using the same almost treatment plan, equivalent ones, with protons and photons. And then we followed them up. Uh, so, we so you look more at long-term? Long-term uh, effects of, of the treatment. So, uh, and what I'm presenting is that, of course, radiation does cause damage. 
but there are some subtle differences between the proton and photon. Now, one has to remember that this is whole brain radiation. We don't know what would happen if we were to limit the radiation to a certain part rather than the other. So it's a long, complicated study, you know, ahead. But at least we're beginning the first step to show that there are some subtle differences that we might want to look at. Please remind me, those are um, fractionation regimens or is an acute single fraction? Well, you shouldn't come to the session because you're going to ask me tough questions. So you should, st no, I, I'm, I'm just joking. But uh, this is a single dose. Uh, of course, you're absolutely right. The proper way of doing this is to fractionate the radiation and to vary the regions of the brain that have been irradiated. But the reality is that in proton therapy, it is uh, very difficult logistically to fractionate because of the demand on the beam. So we started with the simplest... Uh, like a yes or no, what are the effects? Yes, and, 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 uh, and we didn't expect to see what we're seeing. Now we're more motivated to go in and put in the hard work of fractionating and of limiting the beam to certain parts of the brain, uh, brain rather than the entire brain. Yeah, and with the, uh, with the imaging facility that you have, you can do functional studies, right, that. to see. So we see that there are connectome differences. So connectome is uh, almost like the uh, airplane, uh, the last two pages on your airplane magazine when you see all the hubs. Houston, Amsterdam, uh, Frankfurt, and so on. So the brain is, always, is also connected this way. And uh, this connectomics looks at the number of fibers connecting Houston to Amsterdam and so on. And as happened in recently, when we had the hurricane in Houston, uh, the, uh, traffic actually was affected in Hong Kong. Because of course, when the planes don't leave Houston for about a week, Hong Kong gets affected. And that's exactly what's happening in the brain when we radiated the way the brain is connected showed differences between proton and photon. And uh, this is something that is still intriguing. Why is that? I don't know yet. Yeah. With the protons being more uh, damaging or? So know, it's hard to use the word more damaging yeah, because, well, but I, what I can say is that the photons were significantly more damaged compared to sham when the protons were not. But we never saw a difference between, direct difference between the proton and the photon. So it's hard to say that one is and the other isn't, but you, one could say that the photons are showing, compared to sham, more damage. Uh, you know, that's all we really can say right At now. At the moment, yes. yeah, but it's something, yeah, very interesting yes. to pursue. So, let me see if I can, I want to leave you with sure. some words sure. that your, some of your mentees have written for you. So, somebody said, I am in awe of his continual leadership, mentorship, passion, scientific curiosity, and ability to inspire others. I cannot think of any, anyone else more deserving to receive this mentorship award. And somebody took the time to list as many people as you have mentored. Um, and then, uh, he instilled in me a strong work ethic, scientific curiosity, and taught me good laboratory techniques. Somebody said that you also 
took the time between the several other things that you do during the day to teach how to write, how to keep a lab, uh, lab note, a book note. And then, um, and again, an advisor who was dedicated, enthusiastic, and passionate about his, his research. He's a supportive, compassionate, and committed mentor. So, uh, something that mentees look for a mentor is definitely, um, you know, guidance in, uh, in the career, but also a little bit of personal and, you know, somebody who can understand you and be very patient when you get frustrated. And I think you get all of, all of these. Uh, and. Uh, I can tell you, they, don't, they definitely don't show me all this uh, They kindness. shouldn't, because you don't, yeah, I mean, it's I did, too I'm much compliments to, today. Yeah, You're you going to get that now, and then forget about yeah, it. You I get mean, your award, and it's yeah, done. I, I walk in, and, and it's, uh, it's one complaint after the other, and it's, uh, you're confusing that's me. That's should be. You're asking too much, so, you know, <laughs> so it's good that behind my back they're saying good words, because I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, but I do love it. Good. I do love the lab and I do advise anybody never to leave the lab. I've, I've been working with people who have left the lab totally and stay in their office and I cannot do it. I am almost the, uh, the detective. I want to see the evidence. I want to be there. I want to know, not because I'm critical, right, but because I am a suspicious person, not of the person, of the knowledge itself, of the, the and, how method, it was, and the method the and how it was connected. Method. And I'm glad that, that, uh, that they noticed that because lab notebooks are extremely, extremely important. We go back a year afterwards and we are desperate for any note that we wrote on the experiment, right? Yeah. And you know that very well. And I keep telling them that you will, you know, you will thank me when you wrote everything down. And the funny thing is, I, as a graduate student, had terrible lab notebooks. And I tell them that, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because I'm, I'm terrible at that. So they, they're wonderful. I, I keep the lab notebooks and they are incredible. And one last question. Uh, some people say that you encourage them to not just be a good scientist, uh, like, um, going to, you know, of course, seminars, giving seminars, presenting posters. You encourage them to go to philosophy um, talks or history talks to enjoy the city. Uh, why? Remember, I did my PhD in London. University College London is an incredible place. And within walking distance, there's King's College, which is the seat of uh, Maxwell philosophy, religion. And I had great pleasure of hearing some of the best philosophy talks. I mean, I think a scientist should be well-rounded. A scientist should be involved in history, in philosophy, in music, in everything. And this is a tradition in physics, by the way, and which I've always respected. All physicists are playing music, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and speak in philosophy. So I, I, I always tell them, just go and attend. You know, you never know how your brain works and how these things connect and how it can inspire you to see things differently. 
And uh, I'm glad that they were listening. I mean, they I'm were, very happy that they were listening. They were, yes. So, you know, being open, open your mind. Yes. Probably is the best advice mm. that one can give to anybody. Yes. I mean, scientists, but to any person. Just yes. open your mind yes. and try to do. Because we are becoming uh, very, uh, the, the, the pressure of time it turns us into more superficial uh, individuals because we're always chasing deadlines and so on. We never get the chance to settle down and absorb something in. And uh, particularly nowadays with the yes. cell phones where everything yes. is real time, you can get it. You can that. So, but you know, to go to uh, a, a talk that has nothing to do with what one is doing and engage your mind on that is so pleasurable and it's almost like exercise but to the brain. You know, and you come back and you're refreshed and you are ready to tackle what you were doing again. And that's how I've always done it. I promise. The very last question and then sure. I'll let you go to enjoy the, the meeting. Do you get help in the lab to take care of all these people? Indeed. So I've been blessed. I've had several uh, wonderful graduate students. One of them who has stayed with me after she finished and she's now a junior faculty and uh, she has been tremendous. Uh, you know, Janice is now an assistant professor in, in, in the department and I wouldn't have done it without her. And, uh, you know, indeed, I, I must say I've always had wonderful people work with me. Uh, I mean, and uh, again, it's a matter of giving them the trust, giving them the safe environment. You know, you can make mistakes as long as you learn from them. We all make mistakes. You know, I play soccer until this day, and every game you learn something new because, you know, this is how it is. You know, you can't stop learning. and. Uh, uh, I've, I've, I've definitely, I've never done it on my own. I've had excellent graduate students, excellent postdocs, now you know, faculty, uh, staff scientists, they're all so wonderful that uh, I, I can't do it without them. Anything else that I didn't ask you and you want to, to say? <laughs> no, I think we've covered everything, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, Walid, it was wonderful talking to you. you and thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us and congratulations okay. once again for thank being an excellent mentor. Keep, keep at it. We need, we need excellent mentors. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You.